Welcome to a very special episode of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. This is episode 34 and our very first Halloween special. I am Tony Rhodes and tonight I am joined by Mr. Dan Wellington. Hello! Tonight is going to be a slight break from our usual format, so... I mean, there'll probably be a few surprises and a few bumps in the night, but uh, Dan has volunteered very graciously to come join me for this very spooktacular episode. Yep. Spooktacular. <laughs> However, as always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k, and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons only group chat. Support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content like this for you guys in the future. Because yes, there's, as I mentioned, there's going to be a few surprises in store. But finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below. So please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So Dan, welcome to our very first Halloween special. You are our first Halloween guest. How do you feel? Um, spooky. <laughs> I mean, the, so the funny thing is that obviously the show has been running over some previous Octobers. <laughs> it's yeah. not the first ever Halloween to come and go since the narrative wargamer um, had its inception but it's the first time that i've felt like we've had like a production schedule an opportunity and a concept for the evening that's basically come together to be our first halloween special yeah um, and yeah you uh, you're going to join me on this little adventure because tonight as is often the theme of our shows we are going to be exploring a new and different way, or perhaps not new, an old and different way <laughs> to play 40k. Because we, I've actually got a copy of one of the few, if only ever, choose your own adventure publications by Games Workshop, affectionately known as Hive of the Dead. So... That's what we're going to be uh, reading tonight. So we're not going to be reading traditional 40k rules or lore, but instead we're going to be pitching Dan here into a choose-his-own-adventure of a somewhat undead persuasion. Yes, I like to think that uh, my my decision-making is on point when it comes to 40k. Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you're going to have some certainly interesting decisions to be making. So it's definitely a bit of an unusual episode tonight, especially for those who have tuned in for a standard dose of monthly 40k chatter. But you're still going to get some 
some 40k fix, but it's definitely going to be a little different tonight. So there's been some special extra time and attention put into developing this episode. So I'm sure regular listeners will have noticed a, a slight gap in timings between some episodes earlier in the month. But that's purely because I've been busy working away on producing this one. So I hope it shows. I hope it comes through, and I really hope that you all listening to it enjoy it. So, without much further ado, Dan, I think we're going to jump over now to our main spotlight segment for tonight, The Hive of the Dead. Let's get spooky. Welcome back, guys. So... Uh, this is going to be our playthrough of Hive of the Dead. Uh, for those who aren't aware, basically the Hive of the Dead is a Games Workshop publication from years and years ago. It's actually a, an official Black Library publication. Um, but it's no longer in print and I think that's a real shame because it was kind of the first and sadly last of its kind. Um, it was a Games Workshop IP fighting fantasy choose your own adventure book. And uh, yeah, it is set on a zombie-infested hive, so basically imagine pretty much anywhere in the Charidon sector recently, <laughs> with the uh, influx of poxwalkers and the never-dead that have been walking around. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's something that I've uh, wanted to do a special little episode with on the podcast for quite a while now, and it seemed appropriate for a, our first ever Halloween special. So... We're going to see how well Dan does at surviving the Hive of the Dead, and I don't quite know how it's going to pan out, because we're doing this quite organically, and you could die at the hands of a zombie in combat, you could die as a result of a bad choice, or something in the environment, and I imagine it's probably going to end up with you dying in some way, Dan. Well, thanks for the vote of confidence. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously possible to survive the Hive of the Dead, but these old sort of like choose your own adventure books were notorious for being very difficult to beat and taking multiple read-throughs to actually kind of achieve it. So this is going to be um, your first ever venture into it. I ventured into it once or twice years and years ago, but I've uh, never actually beaten it. So I imagine you're probably going to discover something new that I've not encountered before either. Something new and exciting to kill me. Yeah, I mean, trust me, there are plenty of things in here for exactly that. Um, so it does use... It's got a small little combat system in it that's basically very similar to 40k. You know, it does a, you know, hit rolls, wound rolls, saving throws and damage. Um, assigned by both you and the various things you'll be fighting along the way. And you'll use equipment like... You know, las guns, flak armor, heavy bolters, you know, things you'll be aware of from the universe. So we're going to see how well they help you out. But I think for the sake of the show and um, running it on this sort of like podcasting format, I think we'll probably skip the majority of the combat engagements, assuming that you just beat the enemy. Okay. Unless it's a particularly significant or interesting fight, because I think I'll make you do a couple of those. Yeah. But like, inevitably, there are various encounters where you just fight yet another zombie. Do you know what I mean? Right. 
Um, and Fair I enough. think it would be a little. I think it would be a little anticlimactic if all that ends up happening is you end up dying in a scuffle with some poxwalkers. So yeah, um, I think we will sort of have a discerning decision to be made when it comes to the combat, or decide whether or not to bother um, fully dicing out all of them or not. But um, we'll see, because I want to make it interesting. And uh, yeah, we can always adjust in future run-throughs if we ever do this again. <laughs> so yeah, without further ado, I think that's everything, isn't it? Anything else? Have you got any questions, Dan? Um, what am I doing, I guess, is the question. <laughs> Right, yeah, so how we're going to run this as a like a two-man production, uh, the idea is that I'm going to be effectively acting as the narrator or GM, um, and I'm going to be reading from my copy of Hive of the Dead, and you will be making the decisions, so on yes. every page. And rolling uh, dice. And rolling dice. In fact, I think we'll both roll a couple of dice when it comes to the combats that we do play out, so I'll roll for the enemies and you roll for yourself. That um, makes sense to me. Yep. And then you'll make the decisions at the end of every sort of like paragraph, um, and it'll say turn to page X, Y, Z, whatever, in order to play out the decision that you've made in that situation. Okay. And yeah, it's basically going to be your roleplay experience, and I'm just cool. setting the tone. Excellent. So, invariably, it's going to be um, spooky and horrifying, right? Well, it should be on brand, at least, for this season of spooktacular fun. Yes. Uh, cool. So, um, you gave me a, a, for want of a better word, character sheet earlier. Yeah. Which uh, has has me listed as weapon skill 3, strength 3, toughness 3, attacks 1. I assume W is wounds 10. Yeah. Uh, so, that means that Currently, I uh, I can't stand behind a tank and be untargetable. Um, <laughs> and there is a P with a five under it. Ah, uh, yes, uh, P is purity. Purity. Yes. Okay. So it is possible to basically lose purity and gain it, so you can um, right. become more corrupt and heretical, or you can become more devout. Yes. Excellent. In that case, I think that five is a bit optimistic, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, I can't quite remember how much it scales up and down, but yeah, you, know, you basically you imagine a guard character more or less. You know, you're a guardsman, sort of human yeah. level profile with ten wounds for the purposes of this sort of experience, and yeah, you'll yep. be injured and heal as you go along, and if ever you reach zero wounds, you unfortunately die. <laughs> yes, I noticed you said if rather than when there. Which uh, well, gives me a sl small sliver of hope. Again, for me personally, I would love to see that however you come to the end of this story, it's not as a result of simply dropping to zero wounds from bad dice rolls. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You want me to accidentally walk into a giant corpse grinder crusher thing rather than uh, just eaten by a zombie? Yes, but I would accept, say, being gunned down by a plague marine. Or, you know, okay, to yeah. by a demon prince or something like that if these things occur. So if it's a suitably <laughs> honourable death, I feel it'll be worth playing out the combat. If it's just going to be a couple of zombies dragging me down, I think it'll be quicker and more enjoyable for our listeners to not listen to 
ten minutes of rolling dice as the pair of you claw ineffectually at each other. Sure. Well, uh, we should probably play out the first zombie or whatever, but uh, see what happens after that, I guess. Go on then. I'll um, I'll give you that. We'll play out the first zombie encounter as an example of combat, I guess. And uh, after that, then we'll, we'll we'll make a judgment call as we go. Cool. Right. So, without further ado, we will begin at the beginning <laughs> on page one. You lift your head slowly from the rock creek floor, blinking open your eyes before quickly shutting them again as they are greeted by a harsh, artificial light. Carefully, you raise your eyelids once more, shielding your eyes with one hand while rubbing the back of your head with the other. As your vision adjusts to the brightness, you move your other hand to feel the welt on the back of your head. Pulling it away, you notice that you have dried blood on your fingertips. Ooh. Lifting yourself to your feet, you take in your surroundings. You are in a Spartan jail cell. A solid wall to the rear of you and metal bars on the other three sides. A sleeping roll lies unfilled on the floor and a crumpled blanket sits atop it. There is a small pile of rubble in the centre of the cell that has fallen from the ceiling, most likely the cause of your head wound. Directly in front of you is the cell door. Stepping forward, you try to open it. But nothing. And that is when the stench assaults you. Your shoulders involuntarily thrust forwards as your stomach pulls back, issuing forth a torrent of vomit. <sighs> Wiping your mouth and holding back a second wave of nausea, you scan your surroundings for the source of the vile odour. Lying on the floor in front of your cell is the corpse of a man in military uniform. Just behind him, close to what you assume is the main entrance to the cell block, is another similarly attired body. You look down at your own clothes to find that you are dressed identically to the corpses, and that is when the realisation hits you. You have no recollection of who you are or how you got to be in this situation. Oof. Moving forwards, you shake the door of your cell in the forlorn hope that you can somehow break the lock and make good your escape. But unsurprisingly, a door that is designed to hold someone prisoner is not easy to open without a key. Scanning your surroundings once more, you notice that the body closest to your cell has a bunch of keys attached to a loop on its belt, as well as a holstered las pistol. If you're going to escape your prison, then you need those keys. Dropping to the floor, you put your arm through the bars of the cell and shuffle yourself into a position so that you can reach the items on the corpse's belt. A noise from the cell block entrance distracts you, and you recoil in shock as the second body emits a low moan and rises slowly to its feet. Eep. You're not in the uh, the best of starting positions, are you? No. So, uh, so it was probably a good night. <laughs> not so much a, a good morning afterwards. No. So, you've got a couple of options. If you want to attempt to move, remove the keys from the dead jailer's body, turn to 318. If you want to go for the last pistol, turn to 127. So, um, I think, you know, there's a corpse getting up and walking around, potentially, and, and moaning at me. I think we want the last pistol. I guess the other thing to point out to listeners is I apologise if there is any noticeable ruffling of pages throughout tonight's episode as I will be regularly flicking backwards and forwards through this book hopefully it won't be too disruptive 
doing your level best to ignore the reanimated corpse shambling its way towards your cell. You stretch yourself to the limit and manage to get a couple of fingers around the grip of the LAS pistol. With only a tentative grasp on the weapon, you remove it from the holster and slide it towards you when suddenly the jailer's eyes spring open and regard you with a cold, dead stare. Yikes. With the LAS pistol now in hand, remember to mark it down on your adventure sheet. It has a full oh, power oh. pack with 15 shots remaining. Weapons, LAS pistol. Ammo. One power pack, 15, 15 shots. Yep. One times 15. There we go. Yeah, cool. You back away from the undead and take aim at them, relieved that the ferro-steel bars prevent them from getting any closer and mauling you. However, your relief is short-lived as, with a strength that belies their cadaverous frames, the pair of zombies tear the cell door from its hinges, sending it tumbling to the rock creek floor with an alarming clang. Well. Turn to page 71 and prepare to fight both zombies. Yeah, I think that, I think so. So for reference, a LAS pistol is strength 3 and damage 2. Oh, that's nice. Imagine that, a world of damage 2 LAS pistols. <laughs> Coming to 10th edition. <laughs> it's kicking off, isn't it? So for reference then... Uh, zombies stat lines are weapon skill 2, strength 2, toughness 2, 3 wounds, and 1 attack apiece. Okay. Um, they are armed with claws, which do 0.5 damage. Oh, okay. Except that in this, that means that they get rounded up, so it's 1. Right. Which is a little redundant in my mind, but that's how the rules are written in this book. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the initiative is with you, which means you get the first round. The zombies have no saves, and after the second combat round, you move to close combat, technically. But I'm just going to allow you to keep firing with the last pistol, since it's well, a pistol. pistol. Yep. So, yeah, so this is an example of like how the fight runs, and if um, you defeat them, you go to X page. If you lose, you go to another page where you get a wonderful description of being clawed to death by zombies in the first combat encounter. Nice. Let's <laughs> uh, Let's see what we can do. So, starting with you then, you get to make X number of attacks equal to your attack characteristic with your last pistol. Okay. Um, Zombies are identical, so I assume open up. Yep, I assume where its weapon skill is the only attacky stat I've got, so I assume it's the three, which... You are weapon skill three? Weapon skill three. So I'm guessing this being an, an old book, it's hit on fours, right? That's right, yeah. It's basically running with like 7th, or at the time, I believe possibly even 5th ed combat equivalents. I mean, yeah. The the old weapon skill or ballista skill charts look up what you need Pretty to much. hit. That's the... Yeah, if, if you are wounding something that is two, two points of toughness bigger, you will hit, you'll be wounding on 6s in this. Right, yeah, okay. Good to know. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> That's a 1. Yep, that's a miss. Um, but then I'll give you... You get the second round again because the zombies have not obviously reached you. They're clawing their way towards you. So go again. Okay. Bang. That's a two. That's also a miss. 
I feel like Perfect skipping start. combat. Yeah, I feel like skipping combat engagements might be a good idea for the small stuff. Um, but let's go through this one first of all, anyway. Um, yeah. So third round, you get to start the round. You get to shoot again. Can you hit one? Okay. Yes, that's a six. Excellent. Right now, Laz pistol, strength three, zombie toughness two. What do you need? Threes. That's right. <laughs> it's a five, so yes, that's a wound. Excellent. Zombies have no armor save, so that is two of their free wounds dealt to them. But in the interest of time, I'm going to say that you kill one of them. <laughs> okay, dokie. So you've blown the brains out of the first zombie. Um, however, the second zombie is upon you, so he gets to swing at you, so I'll roll for this horrible, horrible boxwalkery thing. <laughs> Get off me. He hits you on a six, so look at that. He's far more accurate than the guardsman. Yeah. In fact, I believe that might have even been a mortal wound if he's uh, mutated in a certain way. Ah, no. (laughs) (laughs) He is strength two, though, so he needs fives. Which he gets. Ha! Okay. Take, Take a whole wound. Okay, so I'm down to nine. Yep. And then we continue to to and fro, but you've got a last pistol, so go ahead, shoot me again. Okay. Boom, that's a four. Uh, freeze to wound me. Four again. Pew, pew. That's, that's a wound, I have no armor save, but this time I'm just going to take the two damage and drop to one. So you've blown a chunk okay. out of the zombie. It's going to attack you back. So you can have another one. one, and it misses. Okay. Again. Hit and wound, and then dead because I have no save. As the second zombie hits the floor. Now that was uh, I believe five that was five shots, shots. I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, so you can I'm see, marking it off. You can see why resources are going to be scarce. Mm, yes, <laughs> especially if I roll like that. Right, so. You have defeated your attackers. Turn to page 161. A decisive kill shot to the second zombie's head finishes it off, and its decapitated corpse slumps to the cell floor. Just to make sure, you put a las bolt through the head of the other zombie. Mark this off your ammo tally. Alright, fine. (laughs) It's forcing you to be cautious. (laughs) Um, Then hesitantly kick at them, worried that what has returned from the dead once may rise again. Turn three and four. The zombie is wearing a backpack, which, turning your head to avoid the full effects of its foul odour, you carefully remo- remove it from its body. Opening it, you are pleased to find a combat knife, but nothing else of use. You, re- you retrieve the bunch of keys and Laz's pistol from the twice-dead jailer, which you already did. But sure. Yes. Well, I've got keys now. Yep. With those keys, you unlock the main entrance of the cell block. Hooray. The backpack can hold ten items. Okay. Sure. Um, if you take the backpack, it replaces your old one, which you didn't have anyway, so yes. sure. <laughs> but you've gained a combat knife, which basically just means you can do combat attacks now, because it's strength as user, damage 0.5. Oh, whoa. <laughs> or one, Yes, I guess. The double doors swing open, and you find yourself in what appears to be some kind of command centre. Banks of scanner arrays and picked screens line the far wall of the room, 
and there are several tables with maps and charts scattered across them. The only sound is a very faint hiss emanating from a box unit off to one side of the room. Cautiously wandering around, you notice a corpse dressed in a smart grey uniform and wearing a peaked cap, lying slumped against one of the tables. Two chairs that sit facing the scanners and pick screens also appear to be occupied by dead bodies, but these wear light green uniforms and olive body armour. Glancing down at your own attire, you notice that, with the exception of the body armour, their uniforms match yours, even down to the patch on your upper left arm that bears the numbers 616. You must be from the same regiment as these men, but why were you locked in a cell? There are three exits from the command centre. The door to the cell block through which you just came, a large ferro-steel blast door, and a smaller door, also made of some kind of metal. Sure. What would you like to do? With the presence of the three corpses, it would not be wise to loiter here. No. <laughs> um, to exit the command centre through the blast doors, turn to 393. To see what lies beyond the small metal door, turn to 15. To examine the scanners and pick screens more closely, turn to 78. To examine the Vox unit, turn to 157. To see if there is anything useful lying around on any of the tables, turn to 302. Hmm. I, uh... I feel like getting out of here is a good plan, but uh, there might be some inf information. Uh, hmm. In that case, you've got small metal doors... Pick screens and scanners, Vox unit, or rummage around in the room. So I think rummaging or the Vox unit playing with that is is noise and might alert zombies. If that's how it works, who knows? Uh, so let's have a look at the pick screens and and data. That sounds like I can do it quietly and from a distance. <laughs> Ignoring the two bodies lying slumped in their chairs. You make your way over to the wall to the flickering pick screens and scanners to see if there's anything that will help you make sense of the situation. Though many of them are as dead as the two guardsmen whose job it was previously to monitor these screens, several are still re relaying picked feeds, presumably from the city that lies beyond the blast doors. On one, what appears to be a smoke-filled plaza is thronged by a mass of lumbering undead, a herd of corpses moving aimlessly and slaughtering anything living in its path. On another, a structure is on fire, and intermittently a flaming zombie emerges, <laughs> shambling purposelessly for a while before entering another building and setting that ablaze too. Well. On yet another screen, what appears to be an Imperial Guardsman stationed behind a barricade loose off a volley of shots into a tide of zombies. Both scores of the undead fall to each barrage of Lasfire. The press of reanimated corpses pushes inoxably on, and although you are relieved to know that you are not the only survivor of this horror, you wonder how long the others will be able to hold out. Mm. The only clue to the guardsman's location is the wreck of some kind of aerial craft that forms part of their barricade. Have they crash-landed somewhere in the city? Are they at a shuttle port? The answer lies somewhere beyond the command centre blast door. As you're deciding what course of action to take next, you notice that one of the seated corpses is holding a las rifle. Although your recent experience tells you that disturbing a corpse is usually a bad idea, a weapon such as a las rifle, ooh, highly valuable piece of archaeotech there, 
will be invaluable <laughs> against the army of the dead that you know awaits for you beyond the command center. Yeah. Do you risk taking the last rifle, or do you decide to leave it where it is? Mm. See, there's three corpses here. Three. Two guardsmen and a commissar, I believe. Yeah. I think uh, I think we'll just um, shuffle off out of here. We will leave it where it is. You are in the command centre. What do you want to do? You can go out through the blast doors, investigate the small door, inve investigate the box unit, or see if there's anything lying around on the tables. Uh, I think we'll go out the blast door. Let's get out of here. The blast door is incredibly heavy and made of half a meter of impenetrable ferro-steel. Well, obviously. And even though the lever mechanism that unlocks it is both well-oiled and well-used, it still takes a huge effort to open. Eventually, with a loud scrape of metal on metal, the door slowly begins to slide aside. You are just about to redouble your effort when a noise behind you attracts your attention. Uh. Spinning on your heel, you turn to face the reanimated bodies of the Commissar and the two Imperial Guardsmen as they shamble towards you, intent on murder. Oh, that didn't go well. The door is barely ajar, but with a few more mighty pulls, you may be able to get it open and squeeze through before the unholy trio reach you. Otherwise, your only option is to stand and fight. You can either attempt to carry on opening the door of the lever, or you can fight the three zombies. Um, I think we will go for another mighty pull, as it were. <laughs> One more mighty pull. Frantically, you pull on the lever, and for the briefest of moments, it looks as if you might make it as the door gives way by a few more centimetres. All your hopes are dashed, though, as you feel the zombies grab you from behind and begin raking at you. As you are pulled to the ground, the last thing you hear is the sound of zombies feasting on your flesh. Your adventure is at an end. Well, that, that didn't last long. That did not last long at all. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, in the time-honored tradition of Choose Your Own Adventure books, let's go back a page. So, uh, obviously what I meant was that I'd go through the small door, right? <laughs> you all heard me say that, didn't you? I believe, unfortunately, at this point, your only alternate choice was to simply fight the zombies, as opposed to... Well, let's fight to... the zombies, then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, as you can see... Um, Hive of the Dead is quite unforgiving and definitely just... literally any corner. So I think that will be worth a slight retcon. Let's uh, let's save scum this book. Uh, <laughs> go back to the last quick save. Try again. So instead you will attempt to fight the three zombies before they claw yeah. you down in vain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as you are effectively the DM. Do you want me to roll a bunch of dice or do you want to just take a load of wounds off me or whatever? Uh, I am going to be a generous GM and I'm going to say 
So the three zombies between them have 12 wounds, which means that would be at least six large shots. So let's assume that even on your best day, you achieve that. So if you knock off six rounds of ammo. All right. 100% <laughs> accuracy. Yeah, that's a uh, bit unlikely. That leaves me with uh, three shots left. Hence why you were very unlikely to even kill them all before you ran out of ammo. Yeah. Well, I've got a knife now, so... And uh, let's say you take two wounds for that as part of that scuffle. Okay. All right. And then at that point, we will assume that after what would have probably been five to possibly ten minutes of rolling dice, <laughs> you have defeated the zombies. Oh, yay. <laughs> the crack shot guardsman that you are. The three zombies lie motionless on the floor around you. In, you know, in our alternate universe timeline, instead of being yep. you lying motionless on the floor in front of them. Yes, okay. Yep. You turn your attention back to the blast door, and a few more strong pulls on the lever open it enough for you to squeeze through. Glad to be leaving this charnel house, you step through and into what remains of the city outside. Carefully, you eke your way through the gap in the door of the command centre, not sure what to expect on the other side. The first thing that assails you is the stench, a smell like rotting flesh mingled with the acrid scent of burning. Ugh. A blanket of smoke hangs low over the street, obscuring your surroundings and stinging your eyes. Ow. Covering your mouth and nose with your hand, you look up expecting to see sky, but instead you are surprised to find artificial lighting, wiring and pipework suspended many metres above you. A realisation strikes you. This is a hive city. A kilometres high construction where millions of souls literally live on top of each other. Millions of souls who have potentially fallen to this plague of undeath. The air is still, save for a cool breeze that gently pushes the smoke through the narrow street upon which you stand. Following the source of the draft, you come to a hull that looks like it has been blasted out of the wall of the hive, and are treated to a view out across the planet's surface. Half a dozen hives stand proudly in the distance, limed by the half-light of a cruel dawn. The one furthest away is ablaze, and you wonder if all the hive cities on this planet have succumbed to this horror, or whether some of the population have armed themselves and are resisting. Your ruminations are interrupted by the distinctive shuffle of booted feet on the Ferrocrete streets of the Hive City, accompanied by the guttural moan of the undead. Turning, you are about to raise your weapon when you realise how futile this would be. Instead of the handful of zombies yes. you are expecting, a veritable army of the reanimated is awkwardly manoeuvring towards you. Hundreds of alabaster-skinned monstrosities bent on feasting on your flesh. Briefly, you contemplate trying to make it back to the command centre, but there is now a wall of undead between you and the relative safety of the glass doors. If you are quick, you might be able to make it to what appears to be a smoke-shrouded building on the other side of the street. Your only other option is to stand and fight, in the hope that the bulk of the zombies will rout once a few of their number have gone down. Hmm, seems likely. Hmm... Yes, zombies, either... famously known for failing morale checks and running away. You can either make a dash for the building across the street, or you can make a stand against the ravening horde. 
Look, as we've established, I'm not very good at this game. But well, I don't think there there's really a choice there, is there? Well, there are hundreds of zombies. And how many shots do you have left in your LAS pistol? Three. <laughs> I take it then, are we dashing to the building across the street? Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> Despite their sheer weight of numbers, the stinking rabble moves with all the speed of a wounded Grox. Are you able to reach the building without any impediment? The door swings open easily with a firm barge from your shoulder and you find yourself in a dimly lit room. Various packing boxes litter the floor and you begin to pull them in front of the door in an attempt to form a makeshift barricade. The boxes clatter with the sound of glass bumping against glass as you drag and stack them, but you have no concern for the well-being of the contents when your life is at stake. You have just positioned the last of the boxes in front of the door when the horde arrives and commences banging at it with the dead hands. The packing boxes do their job, but with every impact on the door, your barricade shifts slightly. It won't hold for much longer, so you need to find a way out of the building. The most obvious exit is a flight of stairs that you presume leads to the roof. But on closer inspection, you find a trapdoor in the floor that can lead that can only lead to a cellar. Do you want to head to the roof or descend into the cellar? Mm. Well, we're in a hive city, so either could lead out, couldn't it? Uh, in theory. Mm. I think uh, I think the the cellar is uh, more likely to be hidden. Like if I go down there and close the hatch, then the zombies get in. They aren't going to go down after me necessarily. Because zombies are dumb. That's a that's an established fact, right? Everyone knows that. Well, they did manage to overpower you earlier. Yes, that's true. But, and, uh, I get what you're saying, like, is hiding from them going to be a better strategy? Who knows? Quite possibly. Who knows? Let's find out. So, are we going for the cellar? Yeah. I would say if it's a hive city, then, and you want to get out, necessarily, you might just want to go down. That seems like a good plan. That's what I was thinking. I wondered whether or not you might have reached that same conclusion. Going up just gets you trapped with all the uh, uh, the undead nobles. The trick is making sure you don't go too far down and go below ground level. Well, yes. For now, we're in a cellar. As the cellar door okay. lifts easily, and after carefully closing it behind you, you are able to clamber down a set of metal ladders into the darkness below. You land with a gentle splash on what feels to be a solid floor and stand there motionless, waiting for your eyes to adjust to the gloom. Moments later, you hear an almighty crash as your barricade yields to the crush of decomposing bodies. And the undead pour into the room above the padding of footfalls. Barely daring to breathe, you remain motionless for what seems like an age, for confident that the zombies lack the intellect to find and then operate the cellar door. You stealthily explore your environment. You fumble yeah, around I in the dark. You. <laughs> yeah, right, your logic was sound. You fumble around in the dark, feeling more of the same packing boxes that were in the room above. Each step you make is followed by the sound of splashing water, as if the entire cellar floor is covered in a couple of centimetres of liquid. There is a faint odour in the room, 
about his different to the stench of death that permeates the city above. Following your nose, you discover that the source of the smell, as well as the water on the floor, is what looks to be a medium-sized grate set into the bottom of the cellar's back wall. Although it is dark, you can feel that the grate would be just about big enough for you to fit through. You can either open one of the packing boxes to see what it contains, or you can remove the grate. Um, I, I'm not keen on removing the grate and going in there. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> so uh, let's let's check what's in these boxes. To have a rummage. The wooden lid comes away easily, and in amongst a prodigious amount of packing material, you find what feels like empty glass bottles. Many are broken, and the lack of light means that you cut your hands on several occasions as you manage oh, to great. gather together. <laughs> as you manage to gather together six bottles that are intact. Mark off one wound on your adventure sheet. Oh, thanks. There you go. <laughs> That's the going rate of uh, six bottles. It's apparently one pint of blood. Well, I get six bottles. Ooh. The sound of the zombies above is getting louder. Oh, no. As if the entire animated population of the hive is trying to fit in there. Oh, no. Other than the certain suicide of returning to the room above, the only means of escape from the cellar is via the grate. I guess we're going that way then. Grasping at a bar of the grate in, e in each hand, you can feel where the water has corroded the metal, leaving its surface pitted and rusted. You plant your feet on the wall either side of the grate and pull hard on the bars. The metal groans under your efforts. Oh, I don't like that. And in its weakened state, snaps and comes away from the door. Gathering your things and ignoring the ice-cold pool on the floor of the cellar, you position yourself on your stomach and begin to crawl into the unknown. You wriggle on your stomach along the dark, wet tunnel for several metres until you come to another rusted crate, which pushes away easily. Expecting to hear the great impact against something solid, you're surprised when a splash echoes along the narrow confines of the tunnel. Extending your neck to see what the grate was barring access to, you look out over a steep drop leading down to a stinking pool of murky water, where the effluence of an entire hive city is collected for probe. Yeah. Because of course, you are, you're in the sewers, clearly. With no ladder down, there's only one thing you can do, and it isn't going to be pleasant. Launching yourself out of the tunnel, you barely have time to curl yourself into a ball before you hit the water. You feel yourself sink for a few meters, and then, with nothing solid beneath your feet to push off against, you swim to the surface. Spitting out a mouthful of the filthy water, you suppress your gag reflex and tread water, gathering your breath. The, the word water is doing a lot here. Feeling a little generous, isn't it? Yeah. You look around and see a set of metal ladders fixed to the wall opposite you, opposite the one you dived into the pool from, and swim towards it. Clambering up the wall, the ladder eventually leads to the mouth of a tunnel, which, judging by the grills set at regular intervals along its length, allowing bite to bleed in, must run directly below the Hive City streets. Uncertain whether the undead infestation has made it below street level, you cautiously set off along the new tunnel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it has. <laughs> if there's zombies, there's got to be zombies in the sewers. You'd think. 
The sewer line runs for about half a kilometre before opening out into a four-way junction. The route straight ahead begins to slope at a sharp gradient and fast-flowing water runs down it at knee height. The routes to the left and right run flat, but both seem to come very quickly to bends. You can choose to advance down the slope, turn right, or turn left. Well, we did say down was uh, kind of a, the right direction, but I'm not entirely sure I want to go down a steep slope that might lead me to a, another pool of water um, and no <laughs> way out. So uh, let's go left. Rounding the bend, this tunnel too develops a gradient, but not to the same severity as the parallel sewer line. Pressing your palms against the slick sewer walls for balance, you make steady progress along your new route. You pause from time to time to listen out for any sound or threat in the passageway ahead. And on one occasion, you hear gentle rhythmic splashes getting closer to you. Just as you are about to draw your weapon, a rat half scurries, half swims past you and disappears down the tunnel you've just walked down. Eventually, and without any more false alarms, the tunnel reaches another bend, and you can only proceed for another few metres before it comes to an end with a sheer drop down into a new tunnel. Just as you've committed to the drop, the sound of the living dead rings out of the tunnel, rings out down the tunnel. You land at the bottom, drawing your weapon just as a pair of zombies advance on you. Uh oh. So you've jumped down to find a pair of zombies. Mm. Um, so as, as before, we've got two zombies we've encountered as previously, so I would again say use up two of your three precious large shots and take, say, two wounds. What would that leave you on? Uh, that'll leave me on one last round and three wounds remaining. Oof, that, um, well, <laughs> tell you what, so be it for me. On a, on, a four, on a four plus, you get away with just suffering one wound. Okay. That's a five. There you go, you got away with suffering just one wound from that encounter, I'd say. And two shots of Laz, you reckon? <coughs> yes, you have one Laz shot left. That begs the question who is it for? Well, quite. <laughs> is there an option <laughs> to just turn it on myself? Uh, you have defeated the sewer skulking zombies. Turn to page 87. The second zombie joins its counterpart on the floor of the sewer with a splash, and a red slick for and a red slick forms in the water at your feet. Both bodies begin to bob and float away on the current, and you watch as they are carried down the long tunnel before disappearing out of view. Not wishing to head back the way you came, you follow them down the tunnel. Okay. Somewhat battered and bruised and bleeding as you go. Just a lot. The tunnel continues on in a straight line for several hundred metres before starting to slope upwards and away to the left slightly. The trickle of water running under your feet becomes steadily faster and your movement is checked as it swells around your ankles, making it feel as if your legs are made of lead. Your muscles are screaming by the time you reach the top of the incline and the tunnel opens into a vast chamber filled with the water that fed the torrent you've just waded through. So preoccupied were you with simply making it up the gradient, you completely failed to spot the stench of sewage fading away, almost to nothing. Reaching down and raking your fingers across the surface of the water, you know why. This is fresh water, not effluence. Ooh. Ooh. Realising that you've not taken on any liquids since waking in your cell, you cup your hands and begin to drink greedily from the underground lake. 
newly refreshed, recover two wounds on your adventure sheet. Oh yeah. Would you like to store some water in the bottles you're carrying? Yeah, I think I'd have a, I'd take a bottle of water. Um, I would say to uh, feel free to use as I guess as many bottles as you would like of your six, and each one I would say would be a consumable to heal two wounds. In the future. All right then. Uh, it's six up to you if you want to use all six. Or... Well, I mean, I could always pour it out if I need a bottle for something, right? Well, I was going to say, how about we limit you to just two filled bottles? Because beyond that, okay. then there'll be a lot of weight to carry while wounded. And Fair. Then that. And then you've also got four empty bottles as well. Yes. You surveyed a huge underground chamber for any sign of a way out, but all you can see is water stretching off into the distance. With a shrug of your shoulders, you lower yourself into the pool and begin swimming. Mm -hmm. Although the water is cold, you are a strong swimmer, and powerful stroke propel you quickly through the calm surface of the water. Stopping every so often to look around for potential exits, you swim for the best part of an hour. <laughs> okay. Without seeing anything other than an endless ocean of water. With fatigue beginning to set in, you're relieved to hear another sound break the monotony of your arms and legs cutting from the water. A sound like a slowly revolving ro rotor blade. Mm. You strike out in the direction of the fresh noise, soon feeling the undercurrent strengthen and finding yourself expending less effort but moving greater distances at a single stroke. On the very edge of your field of perception, a massive propeller set into an immense wall mm. appears, and even though it must still be hundreds of meters away, the slow and steady thwomp, thwomp of the blades fills the voluminous chamber. Disturning a platform just along the wall from the enormous set of blades, you shift direction slightly but can't fight against the pull from the undertow and carry on moving ever more rapidly towards propellers. Straining with every fibre of your being to swim against the current, the water sucks you under. Gasping, you launch yourself back up through the surface and begin sucking for air. Over the combined racket of the propeller blades and your frantic fight for air, you're certain you can hear shouting. And just as the undertow yanks you back under, you see what you think are two figures moving along the platform. This time, the undercurrent is merciless, and you can feel yourself getting dragged deeper and deeper down, ever closer to the powerful blades ready to cleave you in twain. And then, just as consciousness is fleeing away from you, two mighty arms wrap themselves around you. The last thing you feel before slipping into darkness is your head breaking the surface once more, and somebody towing you through the water towards the back. Sounds like a close, close escape there. Sounds like I've been rescued by zombies. For the second time today, you feel yourself regain consciousness, and just like the previous time, your first action is to expel the contents of your stomach. Yes. Which in this instance proves to be water instead of vomit, but still. Look, Petra, I told you he was still alive. The voice is friendly and innocent, <laughs> and the way it emphasizes "told you" gives it a childish-like quality. Ha! You'd have been better off letting the wretch drown rather than letting him suffer. What's happening to this city? He'll not 
Thank you for it, Claudius. His sort never do. Groggily, you raise yourself up to a sitting position, and the sight of your rescuers does an admirable job of clearing your head. Scrabbling around for your weapon, you find it lying next to you and point it at the two mutants standing before you. The woman has milky white blind eyes and is wearing a stained bandana around her forehead and a smug smirk on her lips. Her companion, a brute of a man with a tiny misshapen head, looks at you with wounded annoyance. See? I told you. Well, come on then. If we're going to do this, we might as well get it over with. Drawing a curved blade from the waistband of her breeches. To battle the mutant duo, turn to page 93. To lower your weapon and talk to them instead, turn to page 338. I would like to not fight and die. <laughs> Is that not fight and die or not fight and well, die? Well, I feel like I might uh, that might happen but the intention is to not fight and die lower weapon have a chat listen you know we could just not shoot each other <coughs> forgive me please I was startled that's all lowering your weapon to the platform floor and raising your hands palm upwards to show that you mean them no harm the larger and more obviously deformed of the pair beams with joy and hauls you up off the ground with such force that for a moment you think he might be about to tear you limb from limb. He sets you down and picks up your weapon, presenting it to you like a canine might offer its owner a bone. The woman sheaves her blade and starts circling you, eyeing you up and down. Hmm. Cadian. 616th, judging by the insignia on your uniform. What are you doing down here? It's not like the guard to just send a lone trooper to do a sweep of the sewers. <laughs> you begin to explain what's happening on the streets above, and how you escaped into the sewers to escape the zombie plague. The male mutant stands there wrapped, scarcely believing what you're saying. But the woman interjects from time to time, asking you questions, or reconfirming your tale with reports of her own. So, you don't even remember your name. I suppose for now we'll just have to call you Cadian. I'm Petra, this is Claudius, and this sewer is our home. But how did you come to live like this, among the filth and the waste of the city above? She eyes you with incredulity, as if the answer should be the most obvious thing in the universe. That bang on your head really did a number on you, didn't it? We're mutants, Cadian. We can't just wander the streets of the Hive City, peacefully coexisting with the normal people. If we tried, we'd be burned or never heard of again. That's why we're forced to live down here. Not just Claudius and I, but hundreds more of our kind. We mean no harm. We just want to be able to live our lives in peace. But the preachers spread the word of hatred against us. Suffer not a mutant to live, they say, and send the Imperial Guard and local enforcers 
into the sewers to slaughter us and drive us out. They'll probably blame us for what's happening on the surface. Plague of unbelief. But we're not immune to it. Claudius and I have already had to battle those we once counted amongst our friends. And yet still more roam these sewers. It's no longer safe down here, no matter how well we know this place. And it's time for us to move on. What say you, Cadian? It seems that we both seek the same goal, and it makes sense you should lend us your fighting prowess in exchange <laughs> for our knowledge of the secret ways and safe passages. Can we put aside whatever differences my kind and yours may have had in the past and help one another? She holds out her hand in friendship while Claudus looks on wide-eyed. <laughs> you can either accept their offer of help and accompany them out of the sewers, you can politely decline their offer, or you can impolitely decline their offer and attack them. Um, yeah, I think we will accept their offer um, because uh, clearly I'm a liability. <laughs> if, if I'm honest, they're getting the worst end of this deal. Fair enough. I would also say that as you've obviously been sat chatting, this has been a, a sort of peaceful moment. I think you've had a chance to drink another bottle of your water if you would like. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Because I, I feel uh, now is a good chance you've had to sort of have a short rest, as it were, in D&D terms. <laughs> yep, I'll... Uh... Use some of my temporary hit point, hit dice, and uh, carry on. So we're going to accept our offer of help and accompany them out of the sewers. Yeah. Though our goals are the same, our alliance can be only temporary. Once we reach the surface, we go our separate ways. If you can both agree to that, then we have ourselves a deal. You pre-offer your hand to the female mutant, holding it mere centimetres from her own outstretched hand. Petra hesitates for a few seconds before taking your hand and gripping it. She smiles wearily. Seems not all the Cadian got knocked out of your head, did it? Claudus ambles over to you, grinning from ear to ear, and pats you on the shoulder, which causes you to stumble forwards and almost end up back in the water. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, then. This way. She disappears into the gloom of the tunnel leading off the platform, and still grinning like a loon, Claudus follows her. Still uncertain that you've made the right decision, you gather your own equipment and follow them. Lose two purity points for associating yourself with mutants. Oh, oh no. See? Your actions have consequences, Dan. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not dead, so... Very true. The tunnel runs for more than a hundred metres, and after your recent exertions, you find yourself slipping on the sewer-slicked stones to the accompaniment of a bass rumble generated by the propellers. On more than one occasion, Claudus grabs you at the last moment just before you slip and crash down heavily onto the sewer floor. Every time you thank him, he returns your gratitude with a look like you've, ju 
like you've just told him he's been elected the new emperor of mankind and he practically skips away from you down the tunnel. <laughs> Despite her obvious blindness, Petra negotiates the sewer with consummate ease, never slipping or losing her footing, and very rarely needing to use the walls of the tunnel for balance. As the passage grows ever darker, her pace seems to quicken, and you find yourself wondering if she really does know these tunnels as well as she claims, or if something else is at play here. Just as the last of the meagre light pouring in from the reservoir chamber is about to expire, you see a pinprick of light ahead of you, and with Petra still leading the way, you all make your way towards it. The sewer pipe terminates three metres above another tunnel that runs from left to right. Grates are set into the roof of this new tunnel, and along with light, the smell of smoke also pours in through them. As the three of you wait on the lip of the tunnel entrance, assessing how best to make it down into the other tunnel, the guttural moan of the undead issues forth, and the sound of ponderous footfalls echoes towards you. As you prime your weapon, ready to ambush whatever is heading towards you, Claudus leaps down into the tunnel and charges in the direction of your would-be attacker. Alright then. The battle is brief and bloody, and within a minute, Claudus returns to you with the severed head of a zombie in each hand. His permanent grin still etched across his mutated features. I thought I was supposed to be the one protecting you. Don't worry, there'll be plenty more fighting before we get out of this place. Abandoning his grisly trophies, Claudus helps Petra down into the new tunnel, and then does the same for you. The tunnel you're now standing in runs from east to west, and directly opposite you, a branch tunnel heads off to the north. Claudus begins to set off down the branch tunnel, Petra whistles and then motions to him to follow her down the tunnel to the west. He pauses briefly and looks slightly bemused, but then shrugs his shoulders and follows in her wake. You too do likewise. So it would seem that your alliance has so far been proving <laughs> beneficial. Yep. After another hundred meters or so, the sewer pipe comes to another freeway junction with the same three options of north, east and west. Once again, Claudus opts for the tunnel heading north, and Petra, like last time, stops him and signals for him to continue heading west. This way's quicker, though. Stamping a foot into the stream of sewage, flowing underfoot and spraying all three of you with filth. Thanks. <laughs> Wiping herself down, she replies. That way's more dangerous. Plague zombies down there, and plenty of them. How can you possibly know that? You've not been this way yet, so it's just as likely that if we follow your route, then we'll encounter more zombies. Please, just trust me on this. To trust Petra's instincts and head west, turn to 392. To listen to Claudus and take the quicker route, turn to 109. Uh, well, I'm inclined to follow... Um, Petra because uh, she didn't nearly push me into uh, a lake of water with a giant turbine in it <laughs> true <laughs> so we're going to follow Petra's instincts she she gives the impression of knowing what she's doing more yeah I mean uh, Claudus doesn't seem to be phased by the zombie infestation but you're right he, he, no he seems to be just loitering around as if it's uh, a yeah. Bounding about in his own back garden. 
I mean, certainly both of them know what they're doing more than I do. So, uh... As much as I don't want to hang around in these sewers any longer than I have to, I like the idea of taking on more of those walking corpses even less. Sensing that there might be more to Petra's desire to take the West Passage than mere instinct. You gesture with your arm, inviting Petra to lead on, and Claudus just gives another shrug before following you down the tunnel. After another couple of hundred metres, the passageway comes to another freeway junction. This time, without any protest from either you or Claudus, she turns and heads along the north tunnel. Follow my guide out of here, ideally. Trusting Petra to get you safely through the rest of the complex series of tunnels, you and Claudus follow a few metres behind her, marvelling at the ease with which she negotiates the tunnel, the tunnels without the sense of sight to guide her. For what feels like several kilometres, you pad through the shallow flow of sewage, occasionally changing direction when new tunnels present themselves. Eventually, the stream of effluence becomes faster and deeper, and the diameter of the tunnel increases until you exit into a cavernous sewer pipe that has three equally large pipes leading off it at sharp, downward angles, heading deep below the Hive City. Which way now? Petra considers this for a few moments. The one in the middle already making her way towards it. Reaching the tunnel now, she lowers herself to the ground, and, feet first, pushes herself off and speeds down the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting a few seconds, Claudus does the same, and shortly afterwards, you too find yourself sliding on your back down the steeply descending sewer pipe. After many hundreds of metres, the tunnel suddenly comes to an end without any warning and you find yourself deposited in another tunnel like the one you just slid down from, with three passages stretching away into the darkness. Claudus is standing there, rubbing at the grazers and bruises that the descent has inflicted on his arms and elbows, while Petra is deciding which of the three tunnels to take this time. You're just about to ask her when she preempts you. We go right! This time, the tunnel leads into a smaller passageway that is almost entirely pitch black, and you are forced to place your hand on Petra's shoulder so she can lead you through the darkness. The three of you walk along in near silence, your feet splashing through water being the only sound that breaks the monotony. After several kilometres, the tunnel begins to slope upwards and curve sharply, rising in a corkscrew fashion. Light improves the higher you ascend until you no longer need Petra to guide you through the gloom. Imagine if you were trying to do all this without either of them. <laughs> You'd be stumbling yeah. blind in the dark. Yeah, no. Seems like a good choice. Hmm. Even if the Emperor damns your immortal soul for doing it. <laughs> uh, only a little bit. Only a little bit. Only <laughs> three fifths of it. <laughs> well, two fifths of it. I've got three fifths left. The tunnel continues like this for what you estimate to be another hour. <laughs> so okay. fatigued are you by now that you've lost all sense of distance. Just as you begin to think that you've misplaced your trust in the mutant pair, and that they've got you lost in the stinking depths below the hive city, Petra halts and raises an open hand to order you to stop. Signaling for you with Claudus to stay where you are, she creeps quietly around the next bend. And as you stand there, waiting, awaiting her return, you're convinced you can hear chanting from somewhere up ahead. Uh oh. Several anxious minutes pass before Petra returns and leading you a little further back down the tunnel to diminish the risk of your voices carrying. She whispers to you what she observed. Cultists, seven of them. 
in the next chamber performing some kind of ritual. I don't know which foul gods they're worshipping, and I don't particularly care. But they're standing between us and escaping, so we've got to do something about them. Nodding your assent, you draw your weapon, which has got how many shots again? One. <laughs> and follow Claudius and Petra along the last few meters of tunnel. Halting at the entrance to the chamber, you feel sick at the sound of the cultist's foul incantation, and risk a glance down at the proceedings below you, almost passing out at the sight of the arcane sigils and symbols applied to the walls and floor. Stealing yourself, Petra signals, and the three of you charge into the chamber below to assault the unwary cultists. Fix bayonets. Let's see how well you do with your single las round. <laughs> yeah. One shot, one kill, right? Get rid of one of the cultists. No problem. Claudus has probably got the rest. It's fine. <laughs> we now have a combat encounter yes. with seven cultists. Yes. Who are basically all just slightly better skilled zombies. Yes. Let's jump and toughness to a piece. Now, how many wounds have you got remaining? Eight. You're doing relatively healthily, so um, they're only armed with clubs and you have the initiative. We've got two rounds of ranged combat followed by close combat. I so find one round of ranged combat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just should we say that we? Should we say we put, you put your last last round to good use? Yes. And we'll assume that you kill one cultist of it. Absolutely, we shall assume that. <laughs> and then. Like you say, you would have had a second round of ranged combat, but you don't. So let's move to our third round, a round of melee. And I'm going to say that you've got elements of surprise on your side. So how about we let you roll with advantage, as it were, for this first <laughs> attack. All right, then. So you can hit on fours, re-rolling for your first there's, clubbing of a cultist. There's a four to hit. And, and a, a three to wound. Um, so, technically, that's only one wound. So, Cultus has taken a yes. wound. Get stabbed with a knife. I'm gonna say that there's nothing here to actually include Claudus or Petra in the combat, but between them, I'm gonna assume that they overpower a Cultus per round. Okay, yes. So, they overpower the second Cultist. Which means that's two Cultists down, so there's five of them left. So we'll say uh, three of them are dealing with Claudius and Petra, and two of them are going to take some swings at you. Okay. One of them hits you and wounds you. And I don't uh -oh. believe you have any armor, do you? No. Um, so that is a wound. Down to seven. Then we will cycle around to our next round. So we're just back okay. to standard fighting now. If you want to take a, a club, that's a miss. That's a bad miss. That's a bad we'll, miss. We'll assume Claudus and Petra managed to dispatch one more cultist. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the ones they were fighting, so the two in front of you are going to swing back. One of them gets you and doesn't wound you because he's only strength two. Hurrah! Mm, that four's not going to cut it. Um, so, next round, if you want to take a, another swing. Hits and wounds. Now it takes one of them out, and then between 
Claudus and Petra, they deal the fifth cultist. So there are only two cultists remaining. At which point we are directed to turn to page 20. <laughs> this is this would be very unforgiving if we were playing it by the book. Yes. Honestly, the combat sometimes is one of like the hardest sort of things to deal with yeah. in this book. Yeah. Maybe you should have taken a LAS rifle off a certain cult to yes. start. I have thought of that several times. <laughs> As the fifth cultist drops lifelessly to the ground, the pressure in the room begins to build and a buzzing noise fills the air. That can only be good things, right? <laughs> the two cultists engaged in hand-to-hand combat with Petra and Claudus start to convulse and drop to all fours, screaming and baying. A look of incomprehension passes between you and your mutant allies as the two Chaos Worshippers begin to metamorphosize right before your eyes. With a tearing of robes and flesh, the bodies of both cultists begin to swell and necrotize, and a rank stench permeates from the already foul-smelling air. With a giggle that sounds as if it's been translated by a voted swamp, the newly transformed cultists stand before you as repugnant squat monstrosities replete with lethal claws and malformed horns above their bloated heads. Claudus reacts first and moves to strike one of them, but is flung back hard against the chamber wall for his troubles. You raise your weapon. <laughs> your combat knife as it is yeah. mm. to advance upon the abominations as you know all good hearted guardsmen do when faced with demon entities yep. but Petra steps between you and the creatures take Claudius and get out of here now but, but you your protest is curtailed by Petra removing the grime encrusted bandana from her head in that instant, two questions are answered. How she plans to battle two Denzins of the demonic realm, and how she's been able to move so freely through the sewers despite her lack of sight. Directly in the centre of her forehead sits a third eye, granting her psychic powers beyond those of a normal human. Beyond those even of a normal mutant. Petra has the witch sight. She is touched by the warp, and how she uses these powers over the next few minutes is likely to determine your fate. Right. Go! Sprinting over to where Claudus is only just recovering his bearings, you help the hulking mutant to his feet and usher him towards the metal ladder that leads up towards the gantry and an exit on the opposite side of the chamber from where you entered. As Claudus begins to climb the rank, begins to climb the runs, a crackle of psychic energy followed by an ungodly scream fills the room. Turning, you see one of the conjured monsters sprawled across the chamber floor, its pustulant flesh bubbling and roiling as a result of Petra's aferic attack. You follow Claudus up onto the gantry where he staggers towards the tunnel that you hope will be your means of escape, but once again, you turn in reaction to a scream from the chamber floor, but this time it is Petra rather than one of the beasts. The sickening giggling strikes again as the two demons advance upon the now prone mutant for their claws poised to rend flesh from her bones. You realise that she'll be dead in moments unless you act quickly. Leaping from the gantry, you land on the back of one of the beasts and hang on uh, for grim death. Uh, I'm such an idiot. 
The creature begins to buck and thrash, but you grip its horn even tighter as it thrusts itself back against the wall, smashing you into the stonework. Mark one off your one wound off your adventure sheet. Alright, fine. With their attention diverted, Petra seizes her opportunity and allows the psychic energy to pool around her. Battered and bloody, you finally relinquish your grip on the demon's horn, just as Petra uses her powers to impel one final order directly into your mind. Scrambling back onto the metal gantry, your ears and nostrils begin to trickle blood as the pressure from the psychic energy reaches levels beyond the limits of humanity. You race down the escape tunnel, chased by the unholy screeching of the monsters as Petra breaches the very fabric of reality and tears a rent into the wall. Immense gra- uh, gravitic forces pull at you, trying to draw you back into the chamber and suck you into the aether. But just as you feel yourself sliding towards the reality hole, one of Claudius's strong arms reaches out and grabs you. Held there, caught between the drawer of the warp and the des- desperate grip of a mutant, you wonder if there's any escape from this hopeless situation. <laughs> just another day in the life of a cat. Yeah. <laughs> And that's when the explosion occurs. Oh, good. With a sound like a hundred simultaneous thunderclaps, the force that had been dragging you back suddenly changes direction, lifting you from the floor and propelling you down the tunnel. Even Claudius's bulk is raised up and thrown headlong away from the psychic blast. Behind you, the sewer tunnel begins to collapse, stonework tumbling to the floor and sending a boom of dust along behind you. Helping each other to your feet, you and Claudus start to run down the tunnel and away from the falling masonry. Gradually, the pace of the collapse lessens until you're, until you're both left standing in a half-collapsed tunnel, recovering your breath and trying to make sense of what just happened. It's many minutes before either of you is able to speak, and your inquiry about Claudus's well-being is met with gentle sobbing. Yeah. Patting him sympathetically on the back, you allow him some time on his own, then hobble slowly down the tunnel. There, there. There, there. It is some time later before Claudus catches you up. You have been waiting for him at a large plasteel door that bars further progress down the tunnel. There is a large lever by the side of it that is encrusted with a thick coating of rust. Even if you hadn't been waiting for the mutant, you doubt that you would have been able to pull the lever without his help. Claudus's eyes are puffy and red, and he's still sniffling gently. Are you going to be alright? I don't know. Petra looked after me, kept me safe and out of trouble. If it came back to fight him, then I was able to help her out, but it hardly ever came to that, because she always had a knack for knowing where trouble was and keeping well away. You're just about to explain to him about Petra's gift, and how it had kept them out of danger all these years, when you think better of it. You don't know how he'll react to find out that the only friend he's ever had was a witch. A psyker. Mm. Better to leave him with the opinion that she was lucky rather than warp touched. Will you promise me something, Cadian? I'll try. What is it? When we get out of here, I mean, when we get above ground, can I stay with you? <laughs> uh. 
Slightly taken aback, you stutter and hesitate. It's okay, I understand. Doesn't matter that we sewed each other's lives down here. Doesn't matter that my friend died. Left me all alone so that you so that you might make it back to the high city. Ugh, guilt trip. No, that's not it. it it's just that of course we can stay together. I woke up in a prison cell this morning, uh, so it's not like I'll be rejoining my regiment anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The brutish mutant moves to hug you. But, fearing for your ribs, you thrust out your arm and shake his hand instead. <laughs> Having a giant freak in tow above ground might not be the smartest move, but the world above is going to be hell, and the apocalypse makes strange bedfellows. Interesting choice of words. Come on then, let's get the door open. The pair of you grip the metal lever and pull on it hard. It shifts easily, thanks mainly to Claudus's effort. <laughs> yeah. With a grind of levers, the door swings open to reveal another chamber. Well, that was a little bit of a guilt trip section, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Are you glad you made friends with these mutants? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure if it weren't for that, I would be dead, so... I mean, you'd have faced down cultists and demons and <laughs> complete darkness in the sewers below. I probably would have just died in the sewers. Weapon at the ready in case cultists or the undead await you on the other side, you cautiously slip through the doorway and quickly reconnaissance the new chamber. With no obvious dangers lying in wait for you, you motion for Claudus to follow you in. No sooner has he set foot in the new chamber than a loud metallic scraping noise echoes around the room and the door slams shut behind you. Oh no. Frantically, you look for a door lever, but it must be a one-way door as there are no controls on this side. With your way back blocked, you return your attention to the new chamber. Unlike the previous one, the gantry only extends a few meters above around the curve before ending in a set of metal ladders down onto the floor of the chamber. Apart from the door that just closed behind you, there are two hatches set into the walls of the chamber. A small one at ground level, and one three times larger set halfway up the tall chamber, about ten meters from the ground. Both of these hatches look rusted, and the stonework below the larger hatch is smooth and slick, as if it's been worn away over time by running water. Some of which you can see trickling out the sides, the hatch not quite big enough to completely cover the opening it sits over. There is also a hatch set into the centre of the chamber's ceiling, just about large enough for a man to fit through. Twenty metres below the hatch, on the floor of the chamber, sit two levers, one large and one small, and halfway up the chamber sits another lever directly facing the large hatch. God, it sounds like it, it's a puzzle room, isn't it? Oh no. Let's see if you can work out the pulleys and levers system to ascend. Mm. If you could somehow open the hatch in the ceiling and fill the chamber with water, perhaps you might be able to float up and escape. I know what to do. You need to pull the little lever first, then the big one. Now, you have a choice, Dan. Which do you pull first? To pull the small lever, as Claudus suggests, or you can pull the large lever. Well, I have no idea, so I, I guess I'll default to 
what the uh, the giant freak tells me. So we're going with the little lever first. Yeah. Okay. Despite what appears to be decades of rust caking the parts of the lever where it joins the mechanism, it gives way with surprising ease, and the small hatch at the base of the chamber slides open with a metallic thud that echoes up and around the vast round chamber. The second lever is jammed firm, but with more than a little help from Claudus, you eventually manage to dislodge the rust, yeah. <laughs> and with an ear-splitting crack, pull open the large hatch up above you. Instantly, the chamber begins to fill with the water cascading down from the large hole in the wall above. But, rather than filling too quickly, the small aperture you opened previously acts as a drain, and the water level rises to pace you can both comfortably float up with. Swimming over to the wall opposite the water's source, you position yourself below the third lever and begin pulling at it as soon as it comes into reach. After giving it several forceful tugs, it still hasn't budged and with the water level rising, your efforts become more and more frantic. With the rising sewage threatening to inundate you, the lever finally gives little when the sound of metal scraping across stone rings out from above. Glancing upwards, you see that the hatch has only half opened. Gently easing you out of the way, Claudus joins you and begins heaving at the lever. For what seems like forever, but is actually just a few scant seconds, you both try to dislodge the southern lever, but it doesn't shift at all. With the water threatening to inundate you, Claudus shoves you out of the way with more force this time, causing you to release your grip on the lever and be carried upwards by the rising tide. You try to swim back towards him, but through mouthfuls of water he yells at you to leave him, and with the top of the chamber approaching rapidly, you position yourself under the half-open hatch. With only half a metre to spare, the hatch finally swings open completely and you clamber through it, grateful to find the metal ladder leading up a shaft towards another hatch. With the water level rising faster through such a small tunnel, you are relieved to find that the hatch above gives way easily, and as the water catches up with you, you find yourself being pushed up by the water pressure through the hatchway and onto the street above. You wait there expecting Claudus to poke his head out at any second, a dopey grin on his face, and pathetically grateful that you've waited for him. But it never happens. Oh. He never appears. Yay. Oh. Well. F. That's 40k. Yep. <laughs> it's grim dark. Yep. Well, at least I don't have to look after him now. Well, I'll, I mean, the next line doesn't quite read in line with that your sentiment, but it was about to say, saddened by the death of your ally. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you resolve to continue on. Or perhaps instead, freed of the burden of your <laughs> unwanted ally. <laughs> Both, I guess. You resolve to continue on. Grateful to be free of the furtive depths of the sewers, you pick yourself up out of the sewage that is still gushing forth onto the Hive City streets and assess your surroundings. Right, after that little side quest in the sewers with Petra and uh, Claudius. Side quest in which they both died. I'm assuming that was uh, that was cleverly written so that they both die so that it doesn't have to write the rest of the book with them in it. 
probably something to that effect. Or maybe you're about <laughs> to encounter a living commissar who would have executed them on sight of something similar. Banks of smoke drift along the Hive City street, partially obscuring your view and causing you to splutter before passing by as quickly as they descended. Not that the view at street level is worth seeing. Partially consumed corpses lie rotting in the gutter. The contents of smashed open storefronts, those that aren't burning at least, are spilled out across the pavements and on and into the road. And the personal effects of the Hive citizenry lie abandoned where they were dropped when the undead onslaught commenced. But no signs of life, not even unlife. Other than the cultists, you're beginning to think you might be the only person in this entire hive to have survived. An ear splitting crash rings out from further down the street, and you turn in time to see the last remnants of a burning commercia unit fall unceremoniously to the ground, sending a cloud of white masonry dust rolling along the street towards you. Ducking for cover in the doorway of another commercial unit, remain hunched there until the choking dust storm abates. You dust yourself down, then step back out onto the street to decide where to go next. You appear to be in a commercial district on a long, continuous street that runs from left to right. The building that just collapsed is to your left, and, the mo and most of the structures in that direction appear to be burned out or still smouldering. Though the route itself may be dangerous, your gut tells you that there are likely to be fewer zombies in that direction. The other way to your right seems less perilous in terms of unsafe buildings, but the stench of putrefaction is stronger in that direction. Mm. So you can go left or right. Well, given that I have zero Lazrines left, I think we'll, uh, we'll take my chances with the burning buildings. So we're we heading left. Yeah. The route left doesn't go very far before your surroundings become almost unrecognisable as a city. Smouldering masonry and metal add their contribution to the banks of smoke drifting purposely, purposelessly across this level of the hive. Instead of the doleful moans of zombies, the only sound you can hear is the creak of plasteel supports, straining to hold up what remains of ruined structures. So, pretty standard 40k battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> The further along you move, the thicker and more frequent the smoke becomes until it forms one enormous cloud that sits at street level, limiting your view to scarcely a few metres in front of you. The texture of the smoke has changed too, and as you pass your hand through wisps of it, it is almost as if it clings to your fingers, and only reluctantly releases you. The smell is different now as well, having an almost excremental quality to it, which makes you uh. heave slightly. Ah, that's uh. I thought we got got out of that bit. <laughs> Clearly not. Being careful where you place your feet to avoid tripping over the debris that freely litters the ground, you penetrate further into the unnatural mist, hoping that a path to safety lies somewhere within. As you proceed cautiously down the street, you become aware of another sound other than the straining of metal against gravity—a sound almost <laughs> like giggling but with a wet, burbling quality to it. Mm -mm. You increase your pace, heading deeper into the fog. Uh-oh. Indeed. Making haste over the rubble-strewn street, you become aware of yet another sound entering the mix. A clacking sound, like claws being scraped across stone. 
You turn in the direction of the new sound and swear you can make out of the shadow and swear you can make out the shadow of something small moving awkwardly on all fours in the distance behind you. Without warning, the street terminates in a T-junction, forcing you to choose whether to take the street to the right or the one to the left. Uh, left. We'll keep heading left. Yeah, in the absence of any other information. <laughs> Standard dungeon traversal technique. Always go left. Always go left. <laughs> Whatever is prowling in the mists behind you continues to follow as you take the road on the left, splitting your attention between the unseen stalker and the debris spread across the road. Your progress is slow and tense. Occasionally, the noise of the claws will get louder until it sounds as if the beast is right behind you, only to fall silent and strike up again seconds later, some way off and in a different direction. It's as if whatever hunts you in the midst is toying with you. Hmm. The road reaches another fork, and you're forced <laughs> to choose between left and right again. Uh, left. <laughs> Always be going left. Always be left, Dan. You take the left-hand fork again, and you're at least thirty and you're at least thirty meters along it before you realize that the sound of pursuit has ceased. Hmm. Slowing almost to a walking pace, you look around you in all directions expecting the beast to suddenly pounce upon you from out of the mist. The ground below you becomes more even, and as the scattered debris thins to almost nothing, you're just beginning to think that you've caught a break, when the giggling sounds again, even more sickening than before. Uh-oh. Breaking out in a cold sweat, you carry on running. You increase your speed again on the improving surface. The scraping of claws and the aberrant giggling becoming more intense as you feel the hot, rancid breath of the thing at your heels. Still running, you turn to see what manner of horror the hive has thrown at you now. But all you see is a blur as your pursuer leaps over your head and lands in front of you. You come to a sudden stop and begin to walk backwards, retreating from the thing coming out of the mist in front of you. Not able to see where you're going, such is your fixation on the monster that you trip over a rogue piece of rubble and fall flat on your backside. Oh no. Knowing that your life depends on escaping whatever is advancing on you from the mist, you continue to scramble backwards with your hands and feet. Then the thing stops playing games with you and emerges from the mist. Lopping on tiny limbs that end in vicious claws, the postulant creature is no bigger than a child, but no less deadly for its diminutive size. Uh-oh. A long tongue licks the spittle from the multiple sets of razor-sharp teeth, <laughs> and its purple-green mottled skin bubbles and undulates in a sickening motion. Giggling has ceased to be replaced by a moist snarl, and it glowers at you with small, wicked eyes. It tenses the muscles of its hind limbs and prepares to launch itself at you. I mean, this sounds like a nurgling to me. Who wins, Nurgling or Guardsman with Knife? The ground you are sitting on begins to vibrate ferociously, and you are just wondering if this is part of the creature's attack when you make out the sound of an engine from somewhere behind the monster. It turns to face whatever is approaching, and as a searchlight cuts through the cloying mist, the beast raises a limb to shield its eyes, 
as if unaccustomed to light. A moment later, a Chimera armoured personal carrier appears from out of the mist and halts several metres down the street. Caught between you and the armoured vehicle, the sickly-hued monster remains frozen in the illumination of the searchlight. Too late it realises what is about to happen, and only makes to move as the Chimera's pintle-mounted stubber trains it in the creature's direction. You cover your eyes as the stubber opens fire, shredding the warp-spawned abomination in a hail of shells. After a short burst, the weapon ceases firing, and the beast's still-twitching corpse falls to the ground. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> the top hatch of the Chimera opens, and a helmeted Cadian pops up and cautiously peers around to ensure that no more of the creature's kind lie in wait. Shouting to be heard over the carrier's massive engines, he calls down to you. Aha! Need a ride? Yes. Scrambling aboard the cramped confines of the armoured personnel carrier in expectation of finding a full Imperial Guard squad, you're surprised to find that apart from the vehicle's commander who invited you aboard, the only other person on board is the driver. The interior is dimly lit by the reflected light of the instrument panels, lending the space an eerie green and red glow. You position yourself on one of the narrow benches running parallel to the vehicle's hull, and the driver revs the engine. The rate of acceleration taking you by surprise and sliding you further along your seat. Looks like we found you in the nick of time, the commander says, strapping himself into his chair. He looks to be just pushing 40, flecks of white already making an appearance under the jet black of his moustache and beard. Helmeted as he is, you can't tell what colour his hair is, though you suspect it, it to have the same salt and pepper tones as that on his face. I'm Captain Lestrebera of the 412, and this is Trooper Cabot. Hello. The driver turns and nods at you before returning his full attention to controlling the 38-ton vehicle. You're 616th by the looks of it. Mind telling me what you're doing in Hive Scepters? Seeing as the rest of your regiment are posted outside of the Hive in the Wastes. Uh, Shrug emoji? Taken aback by this revelation, you find yourself at a loss for words. I... I, I don't know. Lestrama looks at you sceptically. What do you mean you don't know? You explain to him what happened to you since you regained consciousness this morning, being careful to leave out the part about coming to in a prison cell, about your amnesia and everything you've been through to survive the undead uprising. Occasionally he nods in affirmation of some detail you relate as if he too has experienced similar situations. Amnesia, you say? Mm, wish I was suffering from that, the things I've witnessed over the past few days. He goes on to explain that three days ago, without warning, the dead started rising from the morgues and the burial grounds in the wastes on the outskirts of Subiaco Diablo's hives. Although slow and ponderous, their sheer weight of numbers made them a force to be reckoned with, and the way they enlisted new recruits made them an incredibly efficient fighting force. Everybody the zombies kill rises from the dead to join their ranks. Within hours, all of the planet's hive cities were under attack by the reanimated dead, and already thousands of the planet's defenders had fallen, only to rise again on the side of the enemy. All contact had been lost with the other hives, but here in Septus, the Imperial Guard High Command had managed to rally and organize some kind of defense. Falling back to the shuttle port and sending a distress signal via the few remaining astropaths in the vain hope that rescue would come. 
Wave after wave of plague zombies threw themselves at the gates and barricades of the shuttle port, and still no response came to the call for help. Then, just as all seemed lost, and the few hundred surviving Imperial Guard were destined to become a banquet for the undead horde, a response was received. The news was grim. All over the sector, other worlds were succumbing to the zombie plague, and there were rumours that yet more worlds had come under attack by the ruinous powers. In the darkest recesses of hive cities all across the galaxy, and on the deepest decks of Imperial Navy ships, there were whispers that Abaddon the Despoiler had returned to prosecute another Black Crusade against the Imperium of Man. Spoilers, it didn't go well for the Imperium. <laughs> but the Imperium had begun to fight back, and even now hundreds of Cadian regiments were mobilising and translating in-system to reinforce the billions of troops already laying their lives down on the line to stem the wave of chaos washing over Segmentum Obscurus. Troop ships were deploying to planets neighbouring Subiaco Diablo and shuttles would be dispatched down to Hive Septus to pick up any survivors and allow them to rejoin the battle against Abaddon on other worlds. We're leaving Subiaco Diablo to the dead and taking the fight to the enemy somewhere we still stand a chance of victory. I meant it when I said we found you just in the nick of time. This is the last Chimera we dispatched to find survivors and the shuttles arrive in the next couple of hours. If we hadn't found you when we did, you would have been left on your own. Better get some rest. I have a feeling there are still battles to be fought before we make it off this hellhole, and Colonel Krasik is going to need every available man. The sound of the Colonel's name causes a vague spark of recognition, but with your memory still locked tight, you give it no more thought and take the Captain's advice to get some rest. I mean, sure. He doesn't you know, have a gun or anything, does he? <laughs> um, seemingly not at this point, anyway. Mm. <laughs> However, despite the rumble and vibration from the Chimera's engine, sleep comes easily. Recover all your wounds! <laughs> Feeling better now? Yeah, loads better. Four whole points better? Yeah. <laughs> and when you finally awaken, you have no idea how long you've slept for. Astromo offers you his hand and helps pull you up from the uncomfortable wooden bench. Uh, I'd like to say welcome to Shuttleport Epsilon, but at present it isn't very welcoming. Following him out, you can quickly see why. A vast rock-crete platform stretches away for almost a kilometre before reaching a large gap in the wall of the hive, big enough to allow suborbital craft to take off and land without impediment. The wounded and dying litter the platform, their moans and wails almost inaudible above the noise of chimeras manoeuvring to position to form a barricade at the shuttle port entrance. The able-bodied mill about among the injured, some of them helping their wounded comrades, Others wandering aimlessly, dazed by the trauma of what they've witnessed. Others still, those who have either been spared the worst of the zombies' atrocities, or have the strength of character to take them in their stride and continue to function, help coordinate the defence, signalling vehicles into position and distributing ammunition to those who still have functioning weapons. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that, because it doesn't seem like they're about to offer you any, anyway. 
We'll see. We might um, you might introduce the option you get a handout. We'll see how it takes us. The candle's over there! An open-backed Salamander command vehicle parked a few hundred metres away. You follow the captain over to it when he introduces you to Krasik, a tall, broad-shouldered man with close-cropped grey hair. Another spark of recognition flares. The colonel narrows his eyes and regards you thoughtfully, as if he too finds you familiar, but doesn't comment. Nostromo tells him how he came to find you out in the streets of Hive Septus, and then allows you to pick up the story and explain about your amnesia and the battles of the zombies. And you have no idea what you're doing in High Septus when the rest of your regiment, if any of them are still alive, Emperor preserved them, are stationed out in the wastes. The tone of his voice suggests that he has some idea regarding the answer, but when you shake your head to answer him in the negative, he doesn't press it any further. No matter. I need any and every man capable of holding a rifle and squeezing the trigger whether they can remember their own name or not. Bad enough that we have an army of the living dead sitting just the other side of the Shuffleport gates. But reports I've been receiving from the troop ships coming to rescue us indicate that several drop pods have made planet fall and even now enemy forces are approaching Subiaco Diablo's hives. Although only a small Number of pods have made it down on the surface. Whoever was in them is likely to reach us before the rescue shuttles do. So it looks like we're going to have to hold them off until the shuttles are able to land and take off with men on board. A stronger here will find you something to do. And with that, the colonel returns to poring over the map he was studying before you were introduced. Drop pods, Dan. Great. Hostile drop pods. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Mm. So, how how well have you been faring so far? Mostly unarmed and out of ammo against similarly unarmed zombies. Quite. <laughs> We're so undermanned in all areas that there are several things you could do. The main gate is under constant attack from the undead, and the men there can use some help to thin out their numbers. Uh, there are also several freight tunnels that lead into the shuttle port, and although I've had them barricaded, it would be prudent for someone to patrol them. And finally, although I've positioned the chimeras just behind the main gate as the second line of defense, we have no idea what kind of enemy may have landed in those drop pods. So if you think you could operate a sentinel lifter, it would be wise to reinforce that barricade. So Dan, you've actually got a few choices. Oh, okay. Yes. You can either go to the main gate and shoot zombies. Um, pass. <laughs> Patrol the freight tunnels. Um, or reinforce the barricade. Well, I mean, I have, given that my character has amnesia, I have no idea if I could drive a sentinel lifter. But let's give it a go. <laughs> That's the spirit. So we're going to reinforce the barricade, yeah? Yeah, let's do that. This is where you die in an industrial accident, of all things. <laughs> yeah. I'll reinforce the barricade. Jolly good! We only have one sentinel that is still in working order. We'll need to use it to lift any cargo crates or other heavy items you can find in the shuttle port and deposit them around the chimeras. It doesn't need to be permanent, but it will need to hold off whatever the arch enemy is likely to throw at us. Come on, follow me. 
Lostromo begins to pick his way across the platform, weaving among the prone forms of guardsmen towards the bipedal walker sitting at rest in an alcove on the other side of the shuttleboard. He's almost there when a nearby guardsman, who you presumed to be either unconscious or sleeping, rises suddenly from the floor, now a zombie, and makes a grab for the captain. Eh. Lostromo pitches backwards and with the undead guardsman pinned firmly on top of him, struggles to reach the Laz pistol holstered by his side. He lets out a scream as the reanimated corpse clamps its teeth down on his neck. But by this point, you've gathered your wits about you and raising your weapon, they take the zombie's head clean off its shoulders. With a knife. Which you know, is impressive <laughs> to say, yeah, it's a knife. Hardcore. That's a clean sweep. <laughs> Lestramo pushes the decapitated cadaver off him and struggles to his feet, rubbing at the gouge on his neck. Several nearby guardsmen rush over after hearing the commotion, but the captain shoes them away, telling them that he's fine and it's nothing more than a flesh wound. Hmm. You should probably have a medic check that out, sir. I'm fine, not that it's any of your damn business, trooper. Now start building up that barricade before I change my mind and send you on patrol back out on the streets of the Hive City. Whoa, he's going to turn into a zombie. Of course he is. Leaving you to clamber aboard the Sentinel, Lestromo returns to the Colonel's position, barking orders at guardsmen along the way. Uh. Though the controls are awkward at first, you soon find yourself able to operate the Sentinel with a degree of deftness. Confident in your command over the walker, you look around to see if there is anything that could be used to reinforce the barricade. Tucked away against one of the vast hangar walls sits a pile of spare parts that look like they've been salvaged from shuttles and flyers. Although most of them are too small to be worth bothering with, there is a large aircraft wing that could be used to reinforce the bulwark. Apart from that, the only other thing you can see that might be of use is a damaged half-track freight hauler that sits alongside Colonel Krasik's Salamander Command Vehicle. So you've got a choice. You can either attempt to add the aircraft wing to the barricade or you can attempt to move the freight hauler into position well the way that was that was read uh, kind of implies heavily that the wing is a good option and the other one is a like afterthought so we're gonna wing it I think I think we'll wing it <laughs> winging it it is the wing comes away easily from the pile of mechanical debris, and after experimenting with the lifter arm controls, you are able to manoeuvre it over to the barricade and drop it into position. You are just about to turn your attentions to the freight hauler when you notice some large packing crates against the far wall that appear to be partially blocking a freight tunnel. The level of activity within the shuttle port has increased in the last few minutes, and it looks like an assault could come at any moment so you only have time to position one more item to reinforce the barricade. You can choose to either lift the freight hauler into position, or you can move the packing crates instead. Um, I think we'll uh, go for that freight hauler, because if the packing crates are partially obscuring a... or partially barricading at another entrance, we could have trouble there if we move them. Makes sense to me. So we'll attempt to move the freight hauler. 
The Sentinel strains at the weight of the bulky half-track, but, servos and motors protesting loudly, you are able to part-lift, part-drag the freight hauler into position between two chimeras that form the bulk of the barricade. The loud clang of the hauler hitting the floor is still echoing around the shuttle port when Trooper Kabar, the driver of the chimera that rescued you from the streets of Hyoceptus, shouts up to you that Captain Lostromo needs to see you. Oh no. What does Lostromo want? Can I see him from uh, inside a sentinel? Because I feel a lot safer against a zombie if I have one of these on my side. I mean, yeah, to be fair, it's not clear at this point if you're going over in the sentinel or if you're dismounting <laughs> to go over. We'll see. Captain Lostromo is deep in conversation with Colonel Krasik as you approach the Salamander command vehicle. Although the captain's neck wound has stopped bleeding, the skin surrounding the gouge has taken on a grey aspect and he is sweating profusely. More and more Cadian guardsmen begin to congregate around the open-top personnel carrier as the colonel climbs atop the hold to deliver his orders. Brave men of Cadia, this is to be the final battle we'll fight here at High Septus. Three shuttles have just broken orbit and are currently en route to our position. However, reports have also reached me that the arch-enemy forces have breached the hive and will reach the shuttle port before our means of escape arrives. This means that we have to hold off whatever forces the ruinous powers are throwing at us until the three shuttles are able to land and take off again. Myself and Captain Lestromo will be on board the last shuttle, but we need volunteers who will fight the rear guard with us and buy their comrades time to get away on the first two shuttles. Who's with us? Slowly, hands begin to rise until about 30 arms are in the air. That's not enough. I need one more volunteer. <laughs> of course they do. Can you guess what your options are here, Dan? Volunteer or volunteer? Actually, on this rare occasion, as a guardsman, you are genuinely given a choice. Oh. You can raise your arm and turn to page 355, or you could choose to put your own safety first and turn to page 32. Well, someone's got to deal with that guy turning into a zombie, so I guess I'll stay. After all, you are the regiment ace knifeist, by the sounds of it. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> So you're going to raise your arm to join the, the rear guard. Yeah, why not? What's the worst that could happen? You, you've made it this far. You've, you've, you've made it back to the guard, as it were. So really now you're resuming active duty. Maybe, maybe if I volunteer to help out, they'll give me a gun. That's true. He may not be able to remember his own name, but he certainly remembers what courage is. All right bit rude. Those of you staying back to fight the rear guard, stay here and see Captain Lestromo who will distribute the extra ammunition. The rest of you, take up your fine positions and be ready to move when those shuttles land. Gain one purity point for your bravery. Uh... Glorious. Remember, the Emperor protects. The congregation breaks up and you wait patiently while Ostromo moves among the remaining guardsmen, distributing power packs. 
when he reaches you, he hands you free power packs. Remember to mark them on your adventure sheet. Okay. So that's what? An ominous 45 rounds? Yes. For a las pistol. And you can't help but notice that his eyes are bloodshot, the white almost entirely <laughs> usurped by crimson blood vessels. Oh no. Sir, are you sure you're alright? I've already told you I'm fine. You make to move towards him, but he rounds on you, and for the next few seconds he stands there, staring intently at you. His gaze is only broken when Krasik calls out to him, and he makes his way to the colonel's side, coughing as he goes. Just as you're deciding whether to mention something to the colonel about Captain Nostromo's condition, a cry comes up from the main gate. The enemy has been sighted, and the zombies are breaking through. Ooh, this is interesting. So this is actually a dictated decision, because it says here, if you reinforce the barricades, turn to page 190. If you patrolled the freight tunnels, turn to 291. Or if you thinned out the zombie numbers at the main gate, turn to 347. Okay. So... I believe we reinforced the barricades, didn't we? We did. Here's where we find out if that was wrong. I'm going to be generous and say that in addition to the LAS packs, you were also equipped out with a brand new shiny LAS gun. Hey! What's that do? It is identical to a LAS pistol, except it is damage free. Oh, okay. Which typically makes a big difference in this book because most zombies are free wounds, so it actually ends up being a, a one shot on zombies. That's very handy. Um, so I feel like I think, considering that you've volunteered to join the rear guard, I think they could probably have found you a las gun from somewhere, even if it was taking it from someone who was not staying in the rear guard. I mean, you bloody hope so. Yeah. They're not going to be able to spare a bolt gun or a flamer or anything, anything fancy, but you get a las gun, guardsman. You will get a las gun. Okay. Now I feel safer. Perching yourself on top of one of the chimeras used to form the barricade, you lie there, finger hovering over the firing stud of your weapon, awaiting the inevitable assault. The guardsmen in the sentry tower, away to your right, continue to take down zombies two and three at a time, but the numbers pressing against the gate are almost a critical mass. Suddenly, the gate gives way, and the necrotic tide it had been damming sallies forth onto the shuttleport landing platform. The air around you fills with the heat and noise of lasfire, and the first wave of zombies goes down under the unrelenting barrage. Yet more of the walking dead spill through the gates, intent on adding you and your Arcadian brethren to their ranks, but still they fall to your guns. As the bodies pile up, even more zombies pour forth, but your barricade is built high and strong, and penned in as they are, the zombies make easy targets. New enemies join the fray. Plague cultists, diseased humans not unlike the undead, but retaining their all-important spark of intellect. And with them, bulbous horned demon things giggling and gurgling in delight at the slaughter. Concentrate your fire on the cultists and demons! A concentrated salvo of weapons discharge cuts down nearly a quarter of their ranks. The noise of battle is drowned out with a shrill whine of engines as the first of the shuttles arrests its descent and comes to a rest on the landing. The first batch of evacuees, the sick and the wounded, rush towards the lowering boarding ramps, 
and within the space of less than two minutes they're all aboard and the craft is able to lift off once more. Yet more cultists and gurgling demons attempt to charge your position, but without the sheer volume of zombies to draw fire away from them, they are eliminated with ease. The second shuttle makes its landing behind you and another group of guardsmen abandon their positions and run toward it. Another noise above that of the shuttle's engine's distraction. And you turn to see cultists pouring in from a side tunnel, auto guns blazing in an attempt to open up a second front behind you. Several of the escaping guardsmen go down before opening up on the cultists with their own guns. Confident the barricade you reinforced so well is doing its job, you divert your fire towards the cultists behind and find Colonel Krasik doing exactly the same. Run for the shuttle! Tranter and I have you covered! Mopping up the last of the cultists, the second shuttle fills with guardsmen, and as the boarding ramps retract, it hovers away from the platform. You turn to ask Colonel Krasik why he just called you Trantor, but his attention is elsewhere. The cultists and demon things have backed away from the shuttle port entrance and something else, something big, is advancing upon the Imperial lines. Ruh -ruh. An unnatural hush descends upon the shuttle port, and a rancid stench, worse than anything you've thus far experienced, drifts onto the platform, followed by a sound not unlike the buzzing of flies. Banks of putrid brown fog roll in, and the silhouette of something large and lethal strides through the doom mist. Almost three meters tall, and clad in bleached, ivory power armor, the form of a traitor space marine resolves itself from out of the miasma of filth, and around you, men are driven mad at the sight of it. Internal organs spill out of rents in his ancient armour and rest on a grotesquely distended belly, while a putrid cloud of flies heralds his approach. In his hand, he carries what was once a bolter, but which is now as much diseased organic matter as it is metal. Pink, muscular tentacles emulate from its grip, reaching back and wrapping around the traitor's forearm, bonding weapon with wielder. From beneath its cracked, tusked helmet, it addresses you in a voice that sounds as if it's formed from the bubbling of a thousand cesspools. I am Korvrak the Contaminated, enslaver of the Belthrak stars, infector of the Screaming Skulls chapter, Champion of the Eternal Test, and new master of this world. Now bow to the Lord of Decay, or suffer my wrath. Now Dan, is yeah. your purity points less than five? Yes it is. What is it? Four. Which I believe means... You'll be directed to turn to page 60. <laughs> oh no. I just want to point out on the subject of these purity points. I gained one for choosing to stay behind and face almost certain death in the name of the Emperor. And I lost two for hanging out with some mutants to save my life. I was going to say, the Imperial morality system is a, a somewhat harsh one, isn't it? In it just. Well, involuntarily, you fall to your knees in supplication, 
Beside you, the surviving Cadians do the same. The only exception being Colonel Krasik, who draws his bolt pistol in defiance. The living eye on Corferak's bolter focuses on the Colonel, and with a wet foot, fires a shell that looks as if it's made of solidified flesh, eviscerating him where he stands. Your new master moves among his converts, anointing you all with his decaying touch. As you feel your organs and flesh begin to putrefy and rot, all thoughts of who you might have once been are cast aside, as you are fashioned anew as a servant of blessed Nurgle. Your adventure is at an end. Well, so we got the happy ending then. <laughs> well, it would seem that um, associating with mutants is a bad idea, and that is the moral of the story, I think. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> you may have been an ace with a knife and fought your way through many zombies, but you were, you were not Puritan enough, Dan. No. And uh, it turns out... You end your adventure in the hive of the dead, as a as a Nurgle cultist worshipper, uh, devotee and serf to Corferact the contaminated. I mean, I mean, it could be worse, couldn't it? So, Dan, are you enjoying your new life as a Nurgle cultist? Absolutely, I am. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot of fun. Get to hang out with my my other Nurgly friends. Um, don't have to shower. I uh, <laughs> I was going to make that exact same joke. Get to pet Nurglings whenever I want. It's great. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got the good ending then. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't just do this sooner. <laughs> Clearly, life in the guard wasn't for you. No. Instead, life in the cult is where it's at. <laughs> See, and I bet there were some listeners out there that thought we were going to fudge it and end up with a good ending. <laughs> we did. Well, yeah, arguably so. But, you know, yeah. I I think that's a, a pretty succinct end to your adventures in the hive of the dead. It's a suitably spooky end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so this has been, what, probably just shy of two hours now, I think, that little adventure. So I think for um, a special episode like this, I think it could be fun to try again next year. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll see. Could be a laugh. And who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll become uh, an annual thing where we attempt to beat the hive of the dead every <laughs> Halloween. I think it will probably depend on how good my memory is as to whether it's fun or not. <laughs> well, it might not even be you that's doing it next time. That's true. Maybe, maybe it could be anyone else. It could be someone listening right now. It could be you. And they'll have to have studied where you clearly went wrong many times. Or maybe where you didn't. Uh, how did you find it? Like, What do you reckon to it as a, a Games Workshop 40k Choose Your Own Adventure? Well... Application? 
it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> uh, intentionally so. I mean, all of the old, like, you know, Choose Your Adventure books were notoriously yeah. difficult. Like, the main reason being that it incentivizes rereading them. You know, yeah. sort of learn the adventure, learn the environment. I didn't think it would be too exciting if you just died straight away to some zombies clawing you down, but I think we got a good two hours worth of adventuring out of it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd, like I say, I genuinely would look forward to doing it again and seeing where else you or whoever might be on the show might take us instead and see if they fare any better. Or Quite. if they get eaten equally as Or if they do exactly the same thing and you have to read all that text exactly the same again. Well, hopefully not. I think at that point I might possibly step in and be like, let's, uh, let's <laughs> not jumping the sewer and side of the mutants and wander through the fog and reinforce the barricade. Let, let's do things different this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the the saddest thing about it is not the inevitable end in the hive that your unfortunate guardsman suffers from, but more the fact that I don't believe Games Workshop ever produced any more of these. No, I don't think so. I don't remember hearing of it or any of the others. So I assume no, there aren't any. I picked it up years and years ago, like I say. I mean, maybe it says on the back of here. When... I mean, you can tell by the content that it's from a certain era. Oh, yeah. Um... I'm, I'm guessing. Ooh, there's. The, it says here more 40k direct exclusives available, such as Double Eagle by Dan Abner, Ooh. Lord of the Night. Pawns of Chaos, Space Marine, The Gothic War, The Armageddon Omnibus, Ooh. and Demonifuge, a graphic novel. There you go, that gives you an uh, idea. Yes, of okay. <laughs> if Demonifuge was in print at yeah. the time. It's a while back um, then, isn't it? A little bit. But I was always a big fan of the old Choose Your Adventure books. I've actually yeah. got more or less the full collection upstairs. Um, and when there was an opportunity years and years ago for me to try a 40k one, I was like, of course I'm going to do that, so I bought it. Yeah. Seemingly not many other people did. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've still never properly beaten it to this day. Um, I mean, I've only had a couple of chances to run through it over the years, but that's why I thought it'd make great coverage for a special episode for like tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm doing it again next time, I will uh, screw everyone else, I'm getting on that last shuttle and uh, <laughs> getting on the shuttle before the end and getting out of there. Maybe an anticlimactic ending, but... Uh, well, chivalry left you dead, more or less, didn't it? Quite. So maybe cowardice will help you escape, who knows. Yeah. Right, so yeah, I, I mean, that's basically going to be everything for tonight because it's been a fun ride. Um, it's definitely been like on theme for our first ever Halloween special. Uh, I hope the listeners really enjoyed it tonight because you won't be aware of this as yet, Dan, but this episode has been produced a bit more like an audio drama than just a standard um, like podcast episode. So it, it, it's taken a little while to put together, but it's been a really fun thing to work on and I hope it shows and it came across in the the atmospherics and the sound effects and everything else that's gone into the production of it for tonight. 
And of course, I want to give a big special thank you tonight to Mr. Steve Uden, Chris Idon, and Adele Overton for contributing to tonight's voice acting lines. So I hope they helped bring together the the cast of the Underhive and the the cast of the Hive of the Dead to life, or, or life as it were. They're actually the uh, amazing folks over at Sump City Radio, hey. um, who regularly bring to life um, the you know characters and cast that they have over on that show. Um, and they were very kind enough to offer us some voice acting for tonight's production. <laughs> That's cool. So uh, yeah, so. It, Thank you very much again to Steve, Chris, and Adele for the wonderful work they've done there, bringing a little more life to the undead. <laughs> if you haven't um, checked out some City Radio, we've mentioned them before on the podcast, but they really are a, a great bunch of people, and they are definitely the premier um, Necromunda content out there. Um, definitely the best Necromunda show. So if you want more action in the Underhive, go check them out. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think just want to say thank you again to Dan for being our willing victim tonight. <laughs> You're welcome. Until next time, guys, this has been a somewhat unusual narrative wargamer helping you to discover more spooky ways to play 40k. 